T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. And welcome back to Overnight America. There's a new book out called The Stats Game, a deep dive into sports analytics in the modern era. Joining us are two teenage twins that uh, wrote the book together, which I think is uh, really cool. Adrian and Maxwell Resnick, uh, welcome to Overnight America. Thank you so much for having us. We're very happy to be here. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. And what do you think of the term wonderkins? Do you like that term for you guys? I mean, we're just doing what we like to do. I mean, I know like it seems, I guess, rather impressive that a teenagers wrote a book, but but in reality, I mean, this, we could talk for hours and hours about this stuff. So it was really just putting our thoughts on paper. So, I mean, overall, I mean, it, it was really just a fun project that we did. Yeah. Did you guys collect baseball cards or anything like that growing up? Yeah, we were really about, uh, we, all, we were very interested in baseball cards, especially the back of them looking at statistics, yeah. especially players from different eras. You know, we weren't too familiar with, you know, the intricacies of sports analytics then, but we were really just fascinated by pl- different players from different uh uh, I guess, periods of the game. Yeah, learning the statistics of players was a big part of my childhood. And, and before the internet and all this stuff, that's how you learned what the players looked like. I was into hockey, so I had a nice collection of hockey cards. But you'd buy a pack, and it's almost like you'd memorize everything on every card you got because, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of other things to do at the time. Um, what's interesting about statistics in today's game is that everyone goes back to think about Moneyball. So is this like Moneyball 2020? Um, well, so what Moneyball did is it, it really laid the foundation and introduced the world to to the field of sports analytics by introducing a, a more statistical outlook on the game and, and I guess more modern ways to analyze it. Um, by no means is this book Moneyball, nor should it be compared to it, but it, 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 it in large part does try to introduce a new audience to a more, I guess, modern way, even more modern than Moneyball, considering it was, wrote, it was written like 20, uh, I mean like 10 years later. Um, so it, it is, uh, in a sense, about the same topic, but Moneyball really did lay the foundation. And, and without Moneyball, I mean, I personally, and I, I could speak for my brother here too, I, I wouldn't know half of what I know. So it, it really is, uh, it, it, in a sense, it's not necessarily a continuation, but it is covering a, a very similar, I guess, area. Yeah. So the statistics you look into, are you particularly uh, looking at baseball? That's like your main focus? 
Um, I would say uh, we're mainly interested in uh, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, and we even dive into some tennis. We're we're big sports fans, so uh, I guess we're, we're we're interested in diving into statistics in any sport. But I would say those are really mainly what we focus on. Yeah, it's interesting because normally when you're young and you're playing sports in high school or college or whatever it is, in a mural with your friends, a lot of it has to do with the feel. You just got to get the right feel for it. So when you started to deep dive into analytics and stats of players and things, how has that changed the way you look at sports? Um, So I think one thing is that it's hard to teach uh, young kids to play the game from a statistical outlook. I mean, in a certain point, like if you're training a young kid to play basketball, uh, it's not necessarily the best approach to have a, a five-year-old only be shooting layups and three-pointers, which are the most efficient shots. It, it, in truth, you just want to get them comfortable with the game. Now, as they get older, I do think it's important uh, for, for young athletes uh, like at the high school level to start implementing smarter strategies, uh, analy- whether, whether that's a data-driven strategy or just a smart strategy, strategy in general. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, we both play uh, baseball, and so uh, it, it is interesting. I mean, uh, our coach at school is very big on analytics and, and very big on, on inventing new ways to think about the game. For example, we experimented with the possibility of playing five infielders and two outfielders. Now, that's very unconventional, but it's that type of out-of-the-box thought process that helps teams win games in a sense it might it may not be the most effective strategy but yeah there are there are several modern ways that i think even at the high school level uh can be adapted it is worth saying that i mean high school sports don't have the same access to public data as professional sports but working with what you have is a big part of high school sports and and sports at younger ages too and i do think it's important to adapt new i guess ways of doing things yeah, football has a lot of trick plays that we enjoy seeing. Hockey, of course, going back to the knuckle puck era with the Mighty Ducks. I think people got a feel for what it's like to do something non-traditionally where you can root and cheer. But in sports, they've tried all kinds of non-traditional things over the years. And I'm curious, since you guys play baseball, what's the most useless baseball stat out there? Um, I would say one that immediately comes to mind is, uh, actually, I, I could name a few. I think the most useless one has to be wins for pitchers. I think it's completely unnecessary to try to quantify uh, a pitcher's performance in terms of whether or not their team wins the game. There are so many factors that go into whether a pitcher can actually win a, or a team can win a game, where just the starting pitcher who pitches is just a, like, a, a, like a relatively small part of that. And so I think you see, you know, even the best pitchers in baseball right now, like Jacob deGrom, uh, often doesn't even – get 10 wins in a season then that does not speak at all to you know how effective he is as a pitcher it speaks more to i guess the team around him when he pitches yeah and just piggybacking on that quickly i mean i I know you asked for one but there are just so many misleading statistics out there in in sports in general but also baseball for example rbis rbis is just a reflection of of how good an overall lineup is it's same thing with uh, batting average i mean batting average is just like a a terrible statistic that is used way too much and so yeah i mean there are several more uh, advanced i I don't know how familiar people are with necessarily Statcast, but Statcast is a uh, uh, i guess a tracking a a data tracking system that uh allows people to to uh, isolate the individual's production a lot more so that's a much more uh, effective way of uh evaluating a player I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to tell you something I've done and have enjoyed, and I'm going to guess that maybe you guys have done it too. So I used to play Sim League hockey, and I loved it. And a lot of it was statistical-based, the individual attributes and things. Ever since then, there's been different uh, you know, uh, video games that allow for you to sim 
the seasons and things like that. Are you guys into those type of computer programs? So we have not uh, played too much in terms of computer programs, but I think, you know, we're, we're very big on like fantasy sports. And in general, I think it sort of plays to the same idea where um, you get to make decisions as if you're, you know, in a real situation. And so we both played a little bit when we were uh, a bit younger. Um, but I think this general premise of, you know, I think, with fantasy sports or with, I guess, more like electronic simulations, uh, it's easier to sort of, you know, experiment with things because the, there's not as nearly as significant a, a, of a consequence as, you know, losing a professional sports game. But, you know, in, in a sport like hockey where, you know, one of the most, I guess, modern techniques uh, is, you know, or I guess debates is when to pull the goalie. You know, you'll you'll have a lot of, you know, pretty much every current uh, NHL coach will pull the goalie, you know, down one goal with approximately a minute and a half or two minutes left. Um, but, you know, the math shows that you should pull the goalie with over five minutes left. And so I just think, you know, when you sort of take the pressure of actually, you know, uh, like the actual game situation off and you uh, just play creatively and play, you know, to win without uh, feeling that pressure, uh, it opens the door for a lot of new possibilities. And, you know, pulling the goalie is just one in many. But that's the one that immediately comes to my head with with hockey. Ah, love those things. You guys mind holding on after the break? I'd love to keep talking about your new book that's out. And and by the way, uh, where can people find your book, The Stats Game? Yeah, so it's on Amazon. It's available both uh, as paperback and as ebook. Um, if you search The Stats Game or Aiden or Max Resnick, um, it should come up. And yes, we're very happy to share it with anybody who's interested in reading. Yeah, Aiden and Maxwell Resnick is the author of the books. Uh, it's the author of the book, The Stats Game, a deep dive into sports analytics in the modern era. We'll continue with them right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Aiden and Maxwell Resnick uh, have a new book out called The Stats Game, a deep dive into sports analytics in the modern era. Thank you guys for coming on tonight to Overnight America. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you so much. I'm wondering if any coaches come to mind that you really admire, take advantage of the stats, and do unique things. Um, yeah. So I guess the in baseball, the uh, most obvious example is Kevin Cash, uh, a man who is under serious scrutiny for his decision to pull uh, Blake Snell. But it, it is, in, in truth, a decision that I fully support. It didn't work out, but I'm sure if Nick Anderson came in and pitched perfectly fine, there, there would be not even close to as much backlash. Um, he's a guy who really is not afraid to experiment, experiment with things. And to be fair, I mean, he clearly has the approval from the organization and, and the organization's assistance in experimenting with things. I mean, the Rays are the team that really coined the opener, which is one of the most underrated strategies in professional sports right now. And for those who don't know, the opener is, is when you start a baseball game with a, a, a one-inning or two-inning reliever, and that allows you to have the starting pitcher start with a much more favorable part of the lineup. Um, so that, that's a, a baseball manager who comes to mind. In terms of basketball, I mean, he's no longer a coach, but I really admire what Mike D'Antoni did for uh, Phoenix Suns, Houston Rockets, and some other teams. I mean, it, it didn't always work out in terms of winning a championship, but, I mean, that guy had some of the some far less talented teams compete and, and go to war with, with some really talented teams. Uh, he, 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 along with uh, Daryl Morey, uh, who's uh, currently an executive with the 76ers, he um, – he really uh, was very instrumental in, in creating this new mindset called Mori Ball, which is uh, threes and layups and free throws are the ways to go in basketball. So, yeah, I mean, there are several, and I think Aiden has a couple more. Yeah, I mean, I would just say more on a more general sense, 
Um, a lot of the times you'll find that uh, the younger coaches and managers in professional sports are the ones who are more willing to adapt. And so, you know, one that comes to mind for me is uh, Sean McVay of the L.A. Rams. You'll find he's often very aggressive. Um, he's a very, you know, and, you know, analytics aside, he's a very um, respectful, uh, he's a very respectable, um, you know, players coach to that uh, uh, for the Rams. And, um, yeah, I think in general, when you have these younger coaches who are a little more familiar with data and oftentimes, you know, players who maybe didn't play sports professionally, uh, so they weren't as used to this, I guess, conven- conventional wisdom, you'll find that uh, these coaches are more willing to adapt to more modern strategies. Well, can statistics explain things like a hot streak or team chemistry or things that you would think are too arbitrary to actually put any numbers to? Um, so touching on the first thing you said about a hot streak. So the hot hand fallacy is one of the biggest fallacies in statistics in general. It basically touches on the idea that when when a player strings a certain, I guess, number of of probabilistic events together, people are under the assumption that it, it in, in a sense, augments his or her next chance to to repeat that same uh, event. Now, it, like when, when Stephen Curry goes 10 for 10 from three in a given game, I mean, yes, that is undeniably impressive. But and it's often, I guess, greeted with this idea that, oh, he's, he has such a high chance to make the next one because he's on fire. But in truth, I mean, if he has a 40 percent chance to make each three-pointer, then the, the probability that he would do that is 0.4 to the, to the tenth power, which it, it is not a high percentage, but it, it is a percentage that will occur if he has a large enough sample size, which he does. So the hot hand fallacy is actually one of the biggest fallacies in sports, and there are several uh, fantastic research papers out there if anyone's curious to learn more about that. Now, in terms of team chemistry, I think one thing I should point out is that the, the second chapter of the book basically covers the fact that analytics in general is often misconstrued. Now, Analytics is the study of information. Granted, the vast majority of the time that information appears in numerical form, but that's not to say that, that I guess, qualitative information is not valuable. Now, team chemistry is something that is very hard, if not impossible, to quantify, but that doesn't mean it does not matter. Having guys in the locker room who are willing to sacrifice their own egos for the better, for, for the, I guess, bettering of the team it, it is a big deal. So it, it, it can, I, just because... Uh, people are very big on statistics like us does not mean that we we necessarily neglect other factors that do play a role in in a team's success like chemistry. You know, I wonder if there are any moments in sports history that you just can't explain. So you talked about a few ideas of what coaches have done when they were playing the statistics and why it should have worked. But is there anything so improbable that someone has done during a sporting event that you think to yourself that statistically just isn't possible? Uh, I mean, I can't. I think you know, in terms of one, I guess, player who's just a statistical anomaly, uh, it has to be uh, Wayne Gretzky in hockey. Uh, I think you know, especially after Brady won his um, Brady won his seventh Super Bowl, there's been a lot of discussion as to you know who's the greatest professional athlete of all time. You know, some people say uh, Tom Brady, some people say Michael Jordan, but in my opinion, it's Wayne Gretzky without a doubt. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of times. Uh, people will look at his goal totals or his point totals and, and, and think they're a little bit inflated. You know, maybe the, the goalie padding was a little lighter back then and it was easier to score goals, which, which might very well be true. Uh, but, you know, a statistical tool called Z-score 
uh, allows you to sort of standardize each statistic for each era. And when you look at a player like Wayne Gretzky uh, compared to the rest of the players in his era, you know, even in an era in which goal scoring was a little more prominent, it, it just his, his numbers are just complete anomalies. And I don't know if we'll ever see a hockey player like him again. And just to add on to that, one common idiom in the, in the world of statistics is that rare things happen all the time. I, I, that sounds a little contradictory on the surface, but an, an individual rare event does not happen often. But given the number of sports games that occur every single day, there are going to be rare instances. I mean, we see it all the time. I, I take a guy like Jamal Crawford, who was for years, I mean, he was a good NBA player, uh, but then in his last year, out of nowhere, when he was nothing more than a, a bench warmer, he just scored 50 points in a game. That's an example of an event that you can't really explain it other than the fact that that was a really, really, really rare event. But rare events happen all the time. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Aiden and Maxwell Resnick in their book is called The Stats Game. If people wanted to find it online, where can they look? Uh, people can look on Amazon, both the paperback and the ebook are there. And yes, we're very, very happy to share it with uh, the audience. Oh, that is great. How old are you guys, by the way? Uh, we're both 18. That's great. So are you still in school right now? Uh, or I don't know what the cutoff is. Yeah, we're seniors in high school. Oh, that's great. So that's kind of cool that you were able to do this sort of thing. Do you get any extra credit for writing a book and publishing something? I mean, we don't get extra credit in school, but our teachers have been, and the overall, I guess, student body as well as our teachers have, have been very supportive. So while, no, we don't exactly get a, a boost in grades necessarily, uh, we do get a lot of support, and that does mean a lot. I mean, we, we've given the books to a lot of um, our, our teachers, and they've just been overwhelmingly supportive, which, is, which has been awesome. Oh, that is so cool. So what do you think, uh, statistically speaking, hasn't been achieved yet that you want to see achieved? Because, you know, some people say, oh, that'll never happen. No, that's impossible. No one will ever beat that record. No one will ever do this or that. Is there anything in sports that you look forward to that you think could be broken in the future? You know, that's a that's a tricky question. This isn't exactly answered, but one thing I'll add is that I, I would invite uh, sports fans in general to be less, to be less, or, or to, to be much less quick to, to criticize a decision. Now, and the reason I say that is because if we look at decisions on the surface level, and one thing I will, one example I will give is that I'm sure every sports fan is familiar with was in, in the Super Bowl against, uh, that was the Seahawks versus the Patriots. In that Super Bowl, uh, people believe that Pete Carroll made the dumbest call in NFL history, uh, which, um, which was to, to pass the football instead of running it, which, and he, Russell Wilson threw an interception, which cost, ended up costing them the Super Bowl. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because the math is very clear, and it shows that the Seahawks actually made the right decision. I, I could go into the math, but, but overall, the, the statistics do indicate that they made the right decision. But the reason we're not see, one of the reasons we're not seeing a lot of these records be broken is because a lot of coaches face backlash for, for doing things out of the ordinary. Now, like, for example, I mean, the Rockets, the Houston Rockets with, with James Harden, one thing we saw them do often was let Harden play in a un, very unconventional way, which it was given the name ISO ball. He was allowed to isolate a lot at the top of the key and make plays for himself. That is a, a, a strategy that is very risky considering it hasn't been done that often, but it can be very rewarding as well. So I, I think one record that comes, I mean, there are some records that will never be broken, um, one record that I think people don't realize won't be broken, but I'd be very surprised if it's broken, is, is uh, the Golden State Warriors' 73 wins. Um, 
because teams are now load managing their superstars. But in, in baseball, hypothetically, I do think we could see some home run records be, be given a run for their money. I mean, a lot of that depends on the baseball. I mean, right now they're they're deadening the baseball, but you never know. Next year we could have a, a similarly juiced ball, and there's some controversy about whether or not it's important to legalize steroids because people do it anyway. So I think we could see some home run records in baseball pushed in the near future. Yeah, and I would also add to that that um, you know a lot of people look at the new data, maybe even tracking data in you know baseball, football, and more, and they they look at it as a way for you know I guess uh, like more analysts to to use it and to evaluate the game but oftentimes people forget that actual players can use that too and so i think you know more than ever you see players have more access to uh uh, to like insights that can show them how to improve and so i think uh you know without even naming a specific record i think we're going to see overall talent levels and production levels increase to new heights you know, if you don't mind, can I offer you some unsolicited advice? And this is just something that came to mind, and it's going to sound stupid, but if, if you don't mind, can you humor me for a second? So yeah, you guys are, it's unbelievable how much sports knowledge and smarts you have around all of this stuff. And I, I know you're young, and I'm going to say this real quick. Please don't use your knowledge for sports betting. It'll put you down the wrong path. So many people go down there, and it just ruins them. So the first thing I thought was, oh, please, you're young enough, and uh, you're, you're not at that point yet in your life. But I'm thinking all of everything that you know right now. I'm just going to give you that unsolicited advice. Don't, uh, cool. don't do it. It could, it could go and take you in bad directions. You know, it's funny. The the idea of sports betting is very, it's very, very misleading. It makes you think that you can outsmart uh, Vegas and, and the book, but but the way it's structured, it, it makes it almost impossible to do so. So that's a very, very strong piece of advice I would encourage everyone to follow because it, it is a complete trap in the sense that, first of all, it's hard for an individual to have mathematical models that will beat Vegas. And when I say hard, it's next to impossible. And second of all, the, the odds in sports betting are structured so, so the um, – house or, or the the i guess vegas in this uh sense gets a cut you if you win 50.1 percent of your bets you will not profit you need to i think the benchmark to clear is approximately 52.4 percent so yes it is a very dangerous track to go on and i i do think you are correct okay so i i saw that and i thought wow you guys are so bright and i'm like okay just wanted to throw that out there one more time if people wanted to find your book the stats game where can they look yeah, they can look on Amazon, just search the stats game or Aiden and Max Resnick, and they can, they'll, they'll find access to both a paperback and a, an ebook. Aiden and Max Resnick, you can find the stats game. And I think I called you Adrian at the start of the interview. I'm sorry, Aiden, for that. Uh, the stats game, a deep dive into sports analytics in the modern era. Thank you guys so much for coming on tonight to Overnight America. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, they were great. So check that book out if that's something, if you're into sports and love to learn about these sort of things. This is a real fascinating read. Uh, They join us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line on Overnight America KMOX. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Cardinal Spring Training is underway in Jupiter, Florida. And KMOX's Mike Claiborne is covering it all. Hear his daily reports, mornings and afternoons, and on Cardinals Open Live. Sponsored in part by Norm's Bargain Barn and Wilkie Windows. On your voice in the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. Born in Cape Girardeau, Rush Limbaugh. Spent some time here in Missouri, traveled around, of course, his time in Sacramento. He worked for the Kansas City Royals for a while, and while he was there, he actually sent an, <laughs> a resume over to Robert Hyland here at KMOX during that time. Imagine if that would have happened, if that would have materialized, and he would have got a, a second look, how that could have changed the history of radio. Would Rush still have been Rush if he was here at KMOX under the guidance of Robert Hyland? I don't know. And there's all kinds of different stories that people have been sharing about Rush Limbaugh today with the news of his passing at the age of 70. I wanted to read a couple of the reactions online. And Governor Mike Parson said, This morning, Missouri's native son, Rush Limbaugh, passed away. I spoke with his family, and we talked of Rush's legacy in our state and across the nation. Uh, Senator Josh Hawley, a proud son of Missouri, Rush Limbaugh was a voice for the voiceless. He changed talk radio, but more importantly, Rush changed the conversation to speak up for the forgotten. Senator Roy Blunt from his first job in high school as a radio personality in Cape Girardeau to the EIB network, Rush Limbaugh changed the way Americans talked about everyday issues. He reshaped talk radio and became one of the most powerful conservative voices in our country, but always stayed grounded in his Missouri roots and Midwest values. I, among, uh, along with millions of others, will miss hearing his unique perspective. That's very true. Can I point out that Rush Limbaugh, when asked, how did you get into radio? His dad owned a radio station. Isn't that something? I didn't realize that until the last couple of years, but his uh, passion for communication, he wasn't always a talk radio guy. I think he worked in Pittsburgh for a while at a music station, and it's weird to hear him ramp up music. But then again, he always had that certain uh, love for music. He had a great songs that he used during his bumper music for all those years, very memorable pieces that I think most people will always associate with Rush Limbaugh, I think, of course, his theme song at the very beginning, The Pretenders, My City Was Gone. Like, when you hear that, it, it's only one note. That's all you need to hear, and you know exactly what it is. You know the song, but more particular, you probably attribute it to Rush Limbaugh in his radio program, hearing his uh, show start. We knew that last year when he was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. We knew that it wasn't good. We knew that he didn't have a lot of time. And in many ways, he beat the odds. He was someone that was able to carry on longer than most anticipated. His doctors certainly didn't think it would last as long as he did. But he started to face the world knowing that it was a death sentence he was faced with. He wasn't going to come out of this. He had the analogy of baseball, which he loved so great where he would talk about his treatment and he he's trying to steal second. Now he's trying to steal third. And now he got called back to second where he was sitting and waiting. And I don't know if he got past that. He leaves behind so many different memories. And for me as a talk radio host, I don't know how anyone in the talk industry 
uh, could ignore the contributions that he has made to make this industry larger than it was before. And, you know, KMOX, of course, has such a rich history being the first talk station, the one that became a viable commercial entity. It wasn't the first talk radio show by any means. I mean, that's not true, but being able to use it as a format and all the different radio stations that decided to mimic the at your service format and the way that talk radio was handled here in St. Louis with the great personalities. You can't deny that KMOX has one of the, the biggest footprints in radio history. Sure. And you can tell that had a huge impact on the kid down in Cape Girardeau. He would have been uh, nine years old when At Your Service launched. You know, 10, 11, 12, 13, I'm sure. At that age, he was listening to it. And, you know, you get back to the 60s and 70s and think of all the personalities he would have been able to hear with Jack Buck and eventually Jack Carney. And to think of all the comedy and the sports and, the you know, the Cardinals. And, wow, all of the things that I'm sure highly influenced him. And as he even said, when he was talking about Jack Buck being inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame, he said that there's two radio stations he would have worked for and his career would have been made, and KMOX was one of them. Makes sense. Just so many people have that experience in radio. I, I wanted to play one thing for you, and I, I had this before, and I'm going to play it one more time because I feel that, in case you missed it, it's, it's well worth replaying. Going back to December 23rd, when Rush Limbaugh was doing his last program for the year. He had some comments to open the show, talking about just heartfelt moments of how much he appreciates his audience. And there's one thing he said that really stood out to me, that I think it's, it's humbling knowing that your time on this earth is coming to an end and you know it's happening and there's nothing you can do about it. You're fighting it, but at the end, it, it's almost like, you have a you're carrying around a leaking bucket and you know the water's going to continue to leak and you're not filling it up fast and there's no way you can fill it up anymore and it's just a matter of time until it's all gone it's like the whole hourglass idea you know you turn the hourglass around and once the sand's gone it's gone there's no turning it back there's so many different analogies you can make and rush limbaugh knowing that at the end of the year fought everything he was fighting and had the love and support of so many people around him uh, made this statement, and it, it, it'll stand out, and this will be one of the most memorable things Rush ever said on his radio program and something that I'll never forget. I had a a little bit of understanding of something that had perplexed me for a lot of my life, and that was Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig, the Iron Horse, New York Yankees, set the record for consecutive games played until Cal Ripken came along decades later and broke it and on the day that Ripken or the, the the day that Lou Gehrig announced that he had his disease that was forcing him to retire from Major League Baseball he said to the sold out Yankee Stadium today I feel like the luckiest man on the face of the earth and I I didn't understand that I mean here's a guy who had just been diagnosed with uh, the most terminal of terminal diseases. And I said, this, this can't be real. You can't really think he's the luckiest guy in the world. This is just something that he's saying because it will play well. It'll, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to be insulting Lou Gehrig. Don't misunderstand. I'm just thinking that how in the world, if you're being honest, can you feel like you're the luckiest man on the face of the earth? Well, when I got my diagnosis, and when I began to 
receive all of the outpouring of love and affection from everywhere in my life, from, from so many of you. I've been very lucky, folks, and I can't tell you how many, how many ways. I have, I've learned what love really is during this. You know, I have a philosophy. There's good that happens in everything. It may not reveal itself immediately. And even in the most dire circumstances, if you just wait, if you just remain open to things, the good in it will reveal itself. And that has happened to me as well in countless countless ways. <sighs> I just want to say thank you, Rush, for everything you did for radio, standing up for radio, growing it, expanding it. I'm able to make a living for my family based on his contributions to grow talk radio to what it is today. And I'll be forever grateful for that. Really one of the most talented, best radio personalities of all time. Lost today at the age of 70 from cancer. Rush Limbaugh. We'll miss you. This is Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. It's a slow, cold night in St. Louis, Missouri. Saw this one article up on Fox 2's website about the different places people are moving to and moving from. And they go through the list. Uh, what's, the, what's the top destinations of people that migrate out of St. Louis or into St. Louis. And number one is Chicago. So you have migration to Chicago. You had about 4,500 people. And then Chicago to St. Louis, 5,400 people. So we gained about, you know, a thousand, a little over a thousand people from Chicago. That's interesting. Springfield, number two, more people from St. Louis, 2,000 or so moving to Springfield. Uh, you had about 1,100 people from St. Louis moving to Dallas. You had about 800 people from St. Louis moving to Columbia. Kansas City had about 400 people. Uh, Houston, we had about, what, 1,100 or so moved to Houston. It's amazing. You go look at these numbers. It's how they can track this number one. But it gives you an idea that people move, come and go so quickly. It's, it's just the way that it works anymore. The idea of staying in one city is different to my generation. And to me in particular in radio, it almost seems unheard of. Radio people move around all the time. TV people move around all the time. It's like, you know, you're, you're one day you're contracted and next day they don't want you and you're off to another city. It's like WKRP in Cincinnati's theme song. Baby, if I ever wonder whatever become of me, whatever the song goes. But that's the idea of it. That's that's it's hard to, to keep track of these sort of things. Cape Girardeau, number nine, uh, about 180 people there. 400 people moved to Washington, D.C. I do not envy those people. In fact, I feel bad for them. I almost feel like they uh, could come back at any time after they realize just how crazy it is out there. <laughs> but that's not a lot. Detroit, only five people moved to Detroit. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, migrated to Detroit. 567 people to Detroit. Overall, if you want to look at the net effect, there's about five total uh, we lost to Detroit. And that's the city I grew up in, not in Detroit, but outside of Detroit. So it's not like the exact thing. And even that, I grew up in the areas that were surrounding it, what they called Down River. My parents would never let me go to Detroit. I wonder if that's, is it like that here in St. Louis? If you live outside of the city, if you live in the county, 
when you're younger, your parents say you're not allowed to go to St. Louis. <laughs> you're not allowed to go there. It was you never went to Detroit. I never did. At least there was nothing for us to go and do that was down there outside of a ball game or a, go see the Red Wings or something. After uh, they started moving the the Lions there, I guess you can go see them after it. But still, no one uh, ever went there just for the fun of it. There wasn't like attractions for us. Like St. Louis has got a bunch of attractions downtown. It's a little bit different, I guess. I wanted to also play a couple of clips from Joe Biden's town hall from last night. This is kind of uh, some people are looking at this and saying just so deceptive in the answers and the way that they're handling this sort of thing. Oh, you know, real quick. They were asked about Rush Limbaugh during the press conference today, uh, Press Secretary uh, Paskey. He has spoken to in the past uh, to uh, to Rush Limbaugh's sickness and illness at the time. And certainly, um, you know, he his condolences go out to the family and the friends uh, of Rush Limbaugh, who have, of course, have lost uh, him today. Um, but I, I don't know that I anticipate a statement from the president, but I can certainly pass on his uh condolences and expression of support for the family. Yeah, I don't know if there there, there will be one. In fact, uh, he's probably not going to lose any sleep over it, if I had to guess, because he's probably in bed, what, 7 o'clock, they say, according to that CNN article. He's like a 9 to 5 job. He's tucked in with his jammies at 7 o'clock after he's had his nice warm cup of milk. Uh, that part I made up. So yesterday was part of a town hall meeting in Milwaukee, and they talked and touched on a couple of different things that were there. Uh, you know, is the uh, need, is it really necessary to go big on this coronavirus spending bill? In order to grow the economy a year, two, three, and four down the line, we can't spend too much. Now's the time we should be spending. Now's the time to go big. Okay, no, not, we just went big. We went big last year at this time. Then we went somewhat big, uh, uh, kind of a limited big, but to point out, what we've already seen, we haven't even spent all the money from the last stimulus. And part of which is just trying to fulfill the campaign promises, not necessarily do what is best in trying to sneak in things like minimum wage into this. Come on now. There's studies that show that by increasing the minimum wage to $15 an hour, it could have an impact on, on a number of businesses, but it would be de minimis, et cetera. Here's the deal. It's about doing it gradually. We're at $7.25 an hour. No one should work 40 hours a week and live in poverty. No one should work 40 hours a week and live in poverty. I do support a $15 minimum wage. I think there is equally as much, if not more, evidence to dictate that it would grow the economy and long run and medium run benefit small businesses as well as large businesses. Yeah, boy, there's really not the evidence that it'll benefit small businesses, depending on what the job is. Not every job is a $15 an hour job. I think that's part of the problem. Um, and part of the way the markets work is when things are competitive, you have the ability to find another job. But I think the checkmate for the Biden administration is they've eliminated so many jobs. <laughs> People are desperate. <laughs> so they'll go for anything. And maybe it's the point where they continue to eliminate jobs. Uh, all you're going to have left are Amazon packing jobs. You're going to be working at a warehouse and that'll be about it. You're going to be delivering or, or controlling the drones as they go out because they're going to eliminate drivers at some point, thanks to the $15 minimum wage. But why would you want to include that as part of the coronavirus spending? I don't know. It has to be something different, something separate. If you really want to raise it and bring it up that way, that would be more important for you to do it. Uh, keep in mind that the more important thing would be to at least take it through Congress as opposed to forcing it through something that you say is necessary in order to add relief for a virus that is devastating the economy. 
And then you add something in that all economists say would also be more hurtful for the economy than helpful right now. So you go, that's fine. Do the gradual thing. If you really believe it, go to Congress, do it the right way. Don't try to attach it to this sort of spending package. It's just not the right way to do it. Wow. We got a lot to get to in the next hour too. In fact, um, right after the break, I will, uh, we'll come back and then we're going to bring in Tom Sullivan. He's going to talk about St. Louis County politics and wasteful spending and things we're seeing. I mean, it is just flying out the window right now. It is just one thing after another. So we need a watchdog, and he is a great one. And then also, David Rubin is the former mayor of Shiloh, Israel. Yes, we're going to call to, uh, Israel and ask him how he thinks relations between the U.S. and Israel are as of late. That's all next hour on Overnight America KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 